together today. Uh, it's a privilege, isn't it, to be, to be able to meet together. Um, I'm thrilled by that. Uh, maybe it's, if you're first time here or first time back, maybe a big welcome to you if you're visiting us and checking us out. Welcome as well. Hope you feel at home and comfortable. Um, we're getting close, aren't we, I think? We're getting close to back to normalcy. Maybe masks removed soon, hopefully. That'd be great. Um, or, uh, and I think hopefully we'll be able to sing soon as well. I keep on saying that. I think I said that for the first few weeks in a row, first few, well, last few weeks. So anyway, hopefully we can. I'd love you to have your Bibles open to uh, Matthew chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible there, open up to Matthew 6. Uh, and we're going to focus on, on that uh, teaching of Jesus about prayer. So Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to look that up while I'm going as well. And there's an outline also in your bulletin that you received as you walked in. That will be helpful to have open in front of you. And also, um, we're going to have a, a time of Q&A at the end, question, comment, word of encouragement, something like that, whatever you like. So just um, keep that in mind as we go through and have a look at this sermon. You might have something to, to write down, to remember, and then we'll um, see where that takes us at the end. Well, um, after spending some time in prayer... A young boy remarks, I asked God for a bike, but I wasn't sure if God works that way, so I stole the bike and asked for forgiveness. <laughs> I like the picture that goes with that as well. <laughs> Evil-looking little child. So we're talking about prayer this week. Last week we started our series on, um, we just called it Reset, Five Healthy Habits of Growing Christians, um, Five Healthy Habits of Faithful Christians as we grow in maturity in Christ. Um, and we thought about what it meant to reset our thinking when we gather together for church. And our, really our big idea as we closed was, well, church was something we get to do. And it, like, prayer is, is the same, isn't it? Prayer is something we get to do. If you're a, a follower of Jesus, uh, prayer is something we get to do. So today, what does it mean to reset our thinking when it comes to prayer? What does that mean? Well, we're going to see. Let's pray as we begin. Let's do that. Our Father, we thank you that we can come together today. We thank you for your word to us. And we thank you for Jesus' um, teaching on prayer that, that we can hear today. And we pray, as Jesus prayed, uh, that we would put his words into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we read the Gospels, one of the things we learn very quickly is that Jesus prayed, and he prayed a lot. Uh, he prayed his baptism. He would withdraw sometimes uh, to pray when, when things got, got busy and hectic. He prayed for wisdom uh, uh, as he prepared to choose the 12 disciples. He prayed after the feeding of the 5,000. He prayed before his crucifixion. He prayed during his crucifixion. He prayed... Well, there are many more examples, aren't there? He prayed early and he prayed often and he often prayed, well, prayed for a good long time. In fact, it seems that whenever anything of major importance happened in the life and ministry of Jesus, we find Jesus praying. Uh, we find, and more often than not, we find the disciples watching on, listening in and learning. In fact, that's what disciple means, doesn't it? Disciple means you're a learner. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're learning from Jesus. Now, Matthew 6 is one of those moments. It's, it's the midpoint of Jesus' famous uh, Sermon on the Mount, where, and Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. 
And then we pick things up in Matthew 6, verse 5. So I'd love to have your Bibles open with you. Jesus gives us, and this, is, this helps us with our structure as well today. You can see that on your outlines, outline as we go through. Jesus gives two examples of how not to pray. And then you can see in verse 9, he says to his disciples, this then is how you should pray. So that's where we're heading. That's our clear structure. And he, then he te- Jesus teaches his disciples that the prayer that's affect- that we affectionately call the Lord's Prayer. Although some Christians call it um, the Our Father uh, I don't know if you've heard of that. It's something recent for me. I like that and so in many ways because it brings out the uh, affectionate term that we can, term, we can call God our Father. But we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so here's our go-to, I think. Here's our go-to when, when it comes to resetting, when it comes to uh, rejuvenating, resuscitating our prayer life. I wonder if you need that at the moment. If you do... Come with me to, to, to chapter 6 of Matthew. Um, come back again to, to Matthew 6, to Jesus' teaching on, on prayer. Uh, it is our go-to. It's our resetting. It's, it's where we, we can be rejuvenated, reset, resuscitate our prayer life. We go to the prayer Jesus taught his disciples when they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's the prayer we go to. But first, let's see what Jesus says about how we can get it wrong. So, two examples of getting it wrong. Here's the first one. Don't be like the hypocrites, these Jewish leaders that Jesus was really referring to. It's an arrogant, ostentatious, pretentious prayer. Jesus says to his disciples, and note too, don't miss this, that Jesus assumes that they do pray. All the way through, he assumes his disciples do actually pray. That's important to remember. Anyway, he says to his disciples, verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus isn't criticizing these Jewish leaders as their, their posture, He's not criticising that or the location to where they pray or even the public nature of their prayer. Public prayer was very much part of the synagogue. What's he criticising? Well, Jesus is criticising their motive. Do you see in verse 6, halfway through there? They pray to be seen by others. That's why they pray. And their motivation is not missed on God. Jesus says, people who pray like that have already received or have already received their reward in full. That is, this is as good as it's it's as good as it, as it gets for them. That's as good as it gets. No doubt they pray more in public than in private. They're only in it for other people's approval. In contrast, these hypocrites, sorry, in contrast to these hypocrites, Jesus says, pray in private. Prayer is not about putting on a show. Prayer is between you and God. It's, it's about that fatherly relationship that Jesus talks about. He knows our hearts and our motives. Now, what about this reward here mentioned in verse 6? Well, we're not told exactly, but no doubt it is that father, fatherly relationship, that closeness, that intimacy we have with God as we pray to him, both now and forever. Now, these hypocrite, these, these Jewish leaders, they get none of that. They get none of it. So that's the first mistake we can make with prayer. The second uh, example of how we can get 
prayer wrong comes in verses 7 and 8. Don't be like the pagans and Babylon. So verse 7, and when you pray, again, notice the assumption that disciples pray. Followers of Jesus pray. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When it boils down, when we boil prayer down, prayer is essentially trust. That's what it is. It's trust. Trusting that God will act when we ask of him. It's trust. And so it's not dependent on me and my actions, my many words, for example. So Jesus says our prayers are not more effective because of repetition or the length of our prayer. That's what the pagans did. Now, that, what, the reference there is these pagan worship in their temples. They go on and on and on, repeating themselves, get, working themselves up into a lather. Um, <laughs> Jesus says, no. no. Prayer is effective because of the God we pray to. Prayer is effective because God works through prayer. And so we trust him in prayer. Prayer is not dependent on my many special words and the repetition. No, it's dependent on who I pray to and I trust God. Now, that doesn't mean that we only pray once for something. In fact, Jesus says we ought to be persistent in prayer in Luke 18. And Jesus often prayed long prayers. Jesus' point here is that prayer is essentially about trusting the work of our Heavenly Father and not my work and what I can do, what I can bring to the table. Trusting in our Heavenly Father who knows even exactly uh, what we need before we ask of him. I think that's a great comfort in prayer. You don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be a great orator. Just pray. Just talk to God and trust him. So that's how we can get it wrong. Uh, There's two. There's that, that showy prayer and then there's the babbling on repetition, trusting in what I do prayer. Two examples of getting it wrong. How do we get it right? How do we do that? Well, Jesus says, verse 9, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice what Jesus does first. The order is really important, and we'll get back to that in a minute as well. But first, he picks up on that fatherly relationship that we have with God, that intimacy we have with God that he's already mentioned in verses 6 and 8. Prayer is relational. We ask of God. God is not some unmoved mover like, like, we, like Islam is understood, or Allah in Islam. He's not some mystical force that we can't know, we can't get to know. And he's not some big policeman in the sky who's out to get us. When we follow Jesus, we enter into a personal relationship between God, with God, our Father. Jesus made that possible by his death on the cross for our sin. He broke down the barrier that made that relationship right, and that barrier is our sin. We're forgiven. We're right with God. We're, we're righteous in his eyes. Uh, sin is what stops that relationship. The cross dealt with that. And so when we pray, our Father, a very clear statement is made about the relationship we have with God. Say you walk into a job interview and you start the job interview, you shake the, the, the person's hand and you, and you call them mate or you call them tiger or champ. 
<laughs> it's not a good start, is it, I don't think? The way we speak to someone depends on the nature of the relationship with them. Uh, same with someone you're close to. We give our children nicknames that only we use and our children beg us to not use in public. I won't give examples right now. Um, I remember my nickname that I was given as I'm growing up. Um, my parents are here today, so um, I won't share that loud either. But mum would know it. Don't say it, mum. Thanks very much, dad. Um, it's a little bit embarrassing. But the, the, the way we speak to someone depends on the relationship we have with them. That's how it is with prayer. Jesus inviting us to call God Father tells us of the relationship we have with God. And calling God Father was radical stuff. It was certainly not something a Jewish man would call God. Not at all. Those disciples wouldn't have done it. But this was the way Jesus prayed. And what was revolutionary is that Jesus invites his followers, followers to do the same. We can speak to God in that same familiar, intimate, trusting way, just like a child would with his or her father. The Bible says that when we believe in Jesus Christ, God gives us the right to become children of God. It's in John 1. And then to help us know we really are his children, to help us be aware that we are his children, God sends us his Holy Spirit, a gift of the Spirit in our lives as we trust in Jesus. And part of the Spirit's work is to, to help us to pray as children to our Father. So Romans 8, 15 and 16 says... Um, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, that's a, a picking up on a legal thing. Nothing to do with men and women there. The sons received the adoption. The sons received the land. We can talk about that more later if you want to. And by him we cry, Abba, that's an Aramaic term of intimacy. We pray, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, makes us aware that we are God's children. So with the help of the Spirit and through faith in the Son, we pray to God as our Father, coming to him as loving sons and daughters. Problem is that some of us here, well, we might have had bad fathers. Uh, so the concept of a loving heavenly Father, that's, that's a little bit of a tough one to grasp but the, this is the Bible's encouragement, the Bible's encouragement is to get to know God the Father through the scriptures open up your Bible and read about God the Father in the scriptures uh, rather than any earthly comparisons, even if you've had a good father don't go there <laughs> uh, read about God the Father in the scriptures, for it's in the scriptures we learn that God is the perfect father who cares for his children who, who listens to us who understands what we need, who loves us with an everlasting love, who, will always, who always knows what is truly best. Now, friends, it's that truth of our Heavenly Father that governs everything else that we read of in this prayer. So have that truth in your head as we go through this next little bit. It's, it changes our perspective, doesn't it? Having God, our Heavenly Father, changes our perspective. Um, Amazon founder and uh, former CEO of Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos, he's the second richest man in the world. He's now a space traveller, as he likes to tell everyone. Anyway, um, he commented during the week at the Glasgow Climate Summit. He said, seeing the earth from space changes the lens through which you, you view the world. 
And then he says, but I was not prepared for just how much that would be true. It changes your perspective. Perhaps now he'd stop wasting billions on space travel and start helping the world. Anyway, let's, let's not get sidetracked. Um, but, you know, you know, there was actually a time, <clears throat> there was a time when um, we knew very little about space, uh, the planets and the stars and the sun. Uh, before the 16th century, I love this story, I'm pretty sure I've told it before, um, but before the 16th century, we all thought the sun revolved around the earth. Perhaps typical of us humans, right? You know, we think we're the centre of everything, centre of the universe even. But in uh, 1530, a guy named Nicholas Copernicus, I've got a mugshot of him as well, um, he, um, he, he actually found, he, he discovered that uh, the earth revolves around the sun. The sun is the centre. It's a total reversal of perspective, right? It, and, and as human beings, it reset our thinking about how we view the universe. That's what the Lord's Prayer does. Resets our thinking. And too often you see we pray, uh, when we pray, prayer is really all about me, right? Me first, my concerns. And in one sense, that's good and right to ask uh, of God for things in our lives. But what ought to shape that asking, what ought to shape our prayers is God's concerns. The Lord's Prayer challenges our perspective, it resets prayer. It puts prayer back in the right order. It's not me first. It's God's concerns first. And that'll determine what I pray for. It'll determine how I pray. So the first half of the Lord's Prayer, what we're asking for God. You can see it in your outline there. I'll try to make it clear. We're asking for God over the page of the outline. You could say this is, <coughs> excuse me, this is like the vertical, Right? The, Lord's, but the first half of the Lord's Prayer, the first few lines, are the vertical. We're asking for God. Then, the second half, we ask for ourselves and in our relationships with others. Let's just call that the horizontal, if you like. Uh, people sitting next to us that we you know, uh, know in our life. So, the first thing a follower of Jesus ought to ask of God is that his name is hallowed or made holy. We're, we're, we're acknowledging in this prayer, we're acknowledging God's purity. We're praying for God's reputation. We're praying for God to be known, honoured, set apart. That's what holiness means. Set apart for all that he is. That's what his name refers to, all that God is. It's not referring to a particular combination of Hebrew letters, but all that he is, his glory and his grace. It's a prayer for God to be known as God everywhere, in all his holiness. That's what we're praying for. So after praying for God's reputation, we, we pray for God's rule. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Again, this is revolutionary stuff. For our culture today, says says, I am king. Me first, my rights. That's a song we love to sing here Robo Anglican, uh, it's a Colin Buchanan song, The Lord is King, He's going to look after everything, every single thing in this world, because this is His world. It's not my world, this is His world. We pray for God to be King. They're simple but profound words, aren't they? 
This is what we pray when we pray, your kingdom come. I'm not king, the Lord is king. He's the one who rules. And to pray for God's kingdom to come is to ask God to rule for everything to come under his control, his will to be done. So give me, let me give you some examples. We pray for ourselves. Well, we ask God to reign as king in my heart, in our hearts, to do things his way, not ours, to be obedient to his will. We pray the same thing for our families. Our homes being places where God's rule is lived by. We love each other. We serve each other. We pray for God to rule in our churches, asking God to conform our lives and relationships to the gospel. We pray for this community, the, 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 our broader community, if you like, that our community here, Robertson and Barawang and, and further afield, I suppose, our big community will be a community of, of not... Where strangers become neighbours. It's a good way to put it, I think. Where the poor are protected and the weak are defended. Where things flourish for the glory of God. And we pray your kingdom come for our nation. That truth and sacrifice and justice will always prevail over selfishness and greed. And we pray that one day all things will be made right when Jesus, God's eternal king, returns in glory. So God first, right? God first, that's that, that vertical over the horizontal. But that doesn't mean the horizontal has no place. It's, how, it's, it's, it's a secondary place, though. God invites us to pray to him, to cast all our anxieties on him. So next, James says, we ought to ask God for our daily provision, our daily pardon, and our daily protection. Three Ps. Easy to remember. Our daily provision, pardon, and protection. But these are not requests just for me. You notice in the Lord's Prayer, me as an individual, verses 11 to 13 are plural. We ask for us. You see that? We're asking for our, our, each other here, for his church. This is a prayer for the people of God, a prayer for one another. So we ask God to give us our daily bread. Not where we are only asking God for what we need. It's a daily ongoing dependence on our Father in heaven. Christians ought to not, not, ought not to be into, the, into the, um, the business of stockpiling for selfish motives, whether that's toilet paper or whether it's vaccines. The prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. It's a great line. I didn't make it up myself. Uh, the prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. You see, we're also acknowledging God's provision. He's the one who provides. God provides us with work. He provides us with an income. He provides us an with an ability to grow food. All of that is a gift from God. That's what it's acknowledging. And finally, Jesus is teaching us that our true needs are few. Jesus didn't tell us to pray for duck a l'orange. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of the most fancy food I could. Um, he's just, just basic necessity. Contentment, not craving for what God has not promised to give. And sometimes, possibly much, much more, more often, out of the abundance of his grace, he gives us much more than we need. And at those times, our response to such occasions must be thankfulness and generosity. All right, verse 12. We ask God to forgive us our debts or our sins, 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's those who sin against us. Uh, Jesus teaches us to remember who we are, what we need before a holy God. Uh, we're sinful, we're broken, and we need forgiveness. That's why we had Psalm 51 read for us earlier. We ask God to create in me a clean heart. Restore me. We need his mercy. We need his grace. And just as we ask for daily provision, we ought also to ask for daily pardon. Forgive me, Lord. It is something we ought to do daily. Not as a, not as a I'm becoming a Christian again today. No, it's, it's about, being, about trusting and thanking for God's mercy and our need for it. It's, it's about understanding, being reminded that we need God's mercy and grace as we live in relationship with him because of the death of Jesus. Such forgiveness ought to then spur us on to forgive others. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We shouldn't read it as a condition of our salvation, but instead it's an assertion, if that helps. We forgive because the Lord forgave us. In fact, one of the strongest proofs that we've received forgiveness from our Father is our commitment to forgive others and not to hold grudges. For the forgiven, forgive. That's what Jesus goes on to teach in verses 14 and 15. You can read that later on. It's worth pausing for a minute, isn't it? And, and, and saying, is there someone you need to forgive at the moment? Uh, someone who has done you wrong? Uh, perhaps there's someone you need to say sorry to and then accept their forgiveness. Uh, pray for a heart like God's, uh, forgiveness like his. Okay, finally, uh, we ask God, our Father, for his daily protection. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. In the uh, cinematic masterpiece, Finding Nemo, uh, <laughs> I hope you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, great movie. A bit of it, it's a bit of it, I don't know, I get a bit emotional finding Nemo. I've seen it. I'm, I'm um, going off my notes, very dangerous. Uh, I've, I've seen it numerous times because um, when I was teaching years ago, um, doing Christian studies teaching at school, I used Finding Nemo as a way to illustrate uh, God's plan of salvation. Now, it was a long stretch, but it worked pretty, pretty well. Uh, anyway, you can ask me about that later if you want. But one of the scenes in Finding Nemo, so we find Marlon, Nemo's dad, and Dory... In, um, in their search for Nemo. Now they're in the depths of the ocean and they come across very dark depths of the ocean. And they come across the incredibly dangerous black sea devil anglerfish. Right? Do, you remember, do you remember this scene? Oh, I don't remember it. Well, let me tell you about it then. <laughs> um, these fish are a real nasty piece of work. They're real, by the way. Go and Google it later on. Um, these fish have the, a distinctive illuminated it's light Rod, it's like a fishing rod, works just like a fishing rod, hanging off the front of their head and this light dangles in front of their jaws, their teeth. Their teeth are long and dangerous and nasty. But the light, the light is, well, it's, it's fantastic. It looks so wonderful and inviting. So the prey, their prey, they see the light and, and, and uh, their powers, well, seemingly... Uh, powerlessly drawn to it as temptation lures them in. And then the fish strikes. That didn't work out. That's what I wanted. It strikes. 
And, well, it's a very scary film, scene in the film. I won't tell you, I want no spoilers here. I won't tell you what happens. Um, but the story goes on. I just spoiled it. Oh. Um, see, too often, when it comes to our temptations, like the angler fishes prey, we feel powerless to resist the light. Whether it's material things, what we watch or consume on the net or on social media or something as simple as lying. Friends, that's why we need this prayer. We say, Father, protect us. Protect me. Lead me not into temptation. Draw me away from that dangling light. And the good news is that when we are tempted, God will always provide a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Equally, the promise of God, as we remember from our series on James, is that the trials of temptation, when we get through them, when we resist them, actually make us stronger as Christians. It's good, isn't it? Okay, well, let's, let's tie a few things together. Uh, friends, this then is how disciples should pray. Do you need to reset today when it comes to talking to God? you do and I reckon we all do come back to Matthew 6 time and time again we start with our father God and we ask for him to enhance his reputation we ask for him to rule and then then we turn horizontal and we ask for our own needs for our daily provision our daily pardon our daily protection and this is radical counter-cultural stuff in a culture that is increasingly anti-God, anti-Jesus, we pray for God to be known and to God, for God to rule. In a culture where normal behaviour is self-promotion, my rights over yours, I'm more important than you, we pray for God's promotion. We pray for God's agenda, not ours. And in a culture that promotes comfort and independence and luxury, followers of Jesus, we pray for our daily bread. In a culture that's convinced of its own goodness and righteousness, we ask God for forgiveness. And in a culture that celebrates giving in to temptations, we ask God to lead us away. Friends, today let's reset our prayers. How about we pray right now? Then we have a time for questions if there are any. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can cry out to you as Jesus did, Abba, Father. We thank you for that intimacy we have with you, knowing that you listen to our prayers, knowing that you love us, and knowing that you rule over all things and we can trust you. Lord, we, be, we pray that we'd be people of, of prayer and we pray, Lord, that we would be people um, that, that um, continue to trust you in that way. Thank you for the, all that you're doing amongst us and thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.